Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. It's good to see you this morning. It was a really fun-filled, packed week with lots of children and fun ministry going on this week. And uh, part of my fun this week was this. Uh, Greg and uh, Tim decided, uh, I think the next slide there, Greg and Tim decided I needed to be the bus driver in some of the hallway decorations. And so every night I had fun defacing my own picture with, you know, uh, it, it was a little earring at first and then it was a little something green by the nose and the kids were all laughing and having such a good time with it. I just, I had so much fun sitting at the hallway waiting to watch them see what I would do each night. It was so much fun. And the holiday is just, the fun is just beginning. It's the 4th of July weekend. We get to celebrate a bunch of stuff this week and thank you for joining us in worship for worship this morning. I want to lead today with the bottom line for the message. It's really simple. The bottom line for our message this morning is we will always reflect what we are most aware of. Now, as a way to get into talking about that, let me lead you down the path of what has been kind of some of my thinking over the past couple of weeks. My last uh, Vineyard Pastors meeting, it's my small group that I'm a part of with other pastors, we had a guy named Putty Putnam. I know the name's kind of funny, but it's even more funny because he serves in a church with a guy who's the lead pastor named Happy, so it's Happy and Putty. It's a, it's a fantastic church, but uh, he's the founder of the School of, the school of Kingdom Ministry. And it's a class that Quest offers. Sharon has led it over the last year, and we've had just some tremendous things happen in people's lives as a result of it. During our time with uh, Putty a couple weeks ago, we reviewed who we are as a vineyard movement. And he, he, he posed this question to me. He said, what's the distinctive of vineyard and to the whole group? What's the distinctive that has made vineyard more than just a small group of, of churches, but a movement that's played a major role in affecting the landscape of the entire American church, which vineyard has done exactly that. If you look at the history and the impact it has had. It was actually a really a refreshing time for me of looking at core values as a movement, as a church, and for me personally. Refocusing came, that refocusing comes right now as our country is also in a time of celebration. The 4th of July is Declaration of Independence. And it's a time for us that we remember the birth of our nation. We remember when a young group of colonies got together and declared their independence from England and solemnly signed a document identifying some of their core values. The rest of them were defined, we know, in the Constitution, the Bill of Rights as well. But they believed that these values would lead to a government that, was, that gave the best value for the people and it brought about the most freedom. Think about this now, 240, 50 years later, a talk about a dream, a profoundly big dream for America just listen again to some of those words. It is we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And oh, the power of these values to motivate equality of men, women, socioeconomic classes, and all races. Have we achieved all those values? No. Is there still a lot more work to be done? Absolutely. 
But having been in people ministry and counseling business for over 30 years, I don't think it's realistic for us to ever think we will perfectly achieve values in life. But the point is that good values have the power to pull us in a good direction when we drift and to pull us back when we drift. And the purpose of celebrations like Independence Day or other days that we celebrate, they're constantly to remind us and pull us back as a people to these values. So as I've been thinking about the core values of the Vineyard Movement, I've been consistently drawn back in my thinking the last couple of weeks to the number one value. And the number one value that the Vineyard States were about is partnering with the Holy Spirit. And this isn't just a value that's important to the vineyard. This is a value that is for all followers of Jesus. Because Paul pointedly says in Romans 8, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. See, this thing of being a Christian, becoming like Jesus, is not primarily a moral thing, although God wants us to find the joy and the freedom that good morality brings us. It's not primarily a works thing, though God does want us and is eager to help us experience really good works in our lives that bring meaning and lasting meaning to our lives. This thing of following Jesus is not so much about Scripture and how much you know and how much you have memorized. I mean, the Pharisees during Jesus, they had boatloads of Scripture memorized, and yet Jesus rebuked them, essentially telling them, you're going to hell and you're taking a whole bunch of people there with you. And yet we also know from Jesus, from his own words, of the absolute necessity and how critical it is for us to know Scripture. Yet while all these things are very, very good, they are tools that we have to live our lives to accomplish the primary objective. They are not the primary objective of our faith. Being a Christian Being a child of God, the focal point, the objective we hope to grow into and get really, really good at is knowing and partnering with the Holy Spirit. It's relationship with God. Learning to commune with Him, talk with Him, listen to the Holy Spirit, sense how the Holy Spirit is moving and working among us and do that work with Him. There is nothing more important to being a Christian in our faith and to a life than the declaration that we will always that we will always pursue a partnership with the Holy Spirit and and that that brings us back to we will always reflect what we are most aware of if we want to be alive in our relationship with God we want to be like Jesus then we need to be primarily aware of what the God says is most important to us as followers of Jesus and that is knowing and partnering with the Holy Spirit See, but the reality of our lives is that we naturally drift from our declarations, isn't it? We, we, the, the things that are most important, we tend to drift from those things. I want to suggest to you that drift happens in our lives not because we're so busy. It doesn't happen because of the influence of our culture and our friends around us. It doesn't happen because of the power of sin, although drifting from our values that God has called us to in our lives does represent sin. It means it's falling short of the mark. No, those things are not the cause of drift in our lives. They're the symptoms of the drift that's going on. The cause of drift for us is bad theology, bad ways we think about who God is how we don't settle in our heart who God is, how we don't settle uh, God's plan for history and how we don't understand what all that means for how we live today. 
See, if we're going to prevent drift in our lives, we need to fight bad theology with good theology. So I want to give you a picture today to think about this. There's a, there's a picture on the screen. Think of the roof of this picture as partnering with the Holy Spirit. And think of this roof then being supported by four pillars of good theology that I just want to spend some time talking about and reviewing today with us. The first pillar of good theology starts with the goodness of God. David in Psalm 34, during a time when it was a desperate time, when he thought he was going to be killed for sure and was not going to become king and not fulfill the destiny God had for his, for his life, writes this. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. In that statement, you see, it's a lot more than believing in the goodness of God. It's tasting, it's, it's experiencing God's goodness in the reality of your life. It's seeing and perceiving God's goodness and acknowledge that reality when you see it in other people and other circumstances around you. So this taste and see goodness of God is the cornerstone of all good theology. If you don't have this pillar strongly in your life, all other pillar, all others will crumble and fall question we have to ask ourselves is, what is our constant expectation? What is your constant expectation that God wants to bring good into your life? How is that doing? See, if you want to walk into the good God has in your, if for your life, the good that you long for, the good that he has planned, this pillar has more power to lead you to the dream for the good for a good nation. It has the power to lead you to a dream for a good career, a good marriage, or to help you live with this powerful, all-encompassing sense of hope. This has more power to do that than any other belief. And it is this pillar that empowers and motivates us to risk even doing something meaningful God for God, with God, on behalf of God in our life. Life is this ongoing discovery of how good God is. And see, here's a, here's a truth I, wanna, I want you to hear. You will only take the risk to explore the land you know is occupied by the goodness of God. So, so what land are you wanting to live in that you're not living in? Because you don't trust that God's goodness is there for you in that moment. For some of you, it might be your desire for children in the face of infertility. For some of you, it might be your job future or other relationship challenges that you're facing or dreams that you're, that you're frustrated with. See, I notice that when I stop being eager to pray for healing, it's generally because inside I'm beginning to question the goodness of God. So I stop risking. And a lack of risk is, is like a, an intense thirst or hunger telling us that we need to replenish. We need to remember the goodness of God. See, partnering with the Holy Spirit in life is this adventure. God's goodness is so big that we get to spend all of eternity in one simple quest to discover the wonder and goodness of God in each moment of our lives. See, most of our drifting in life happens because we begin to question God's goodness. When we start questioning God's goodness, we don't act boldly. We don't, we draw back, maybe even put up walls, right? We, we stop acting and stepping out in faith and risking because, well, we don't have faith that the goodness of God is going to meet us there if we take that risk. And instead, we get ourselves caught up in despair. 
David addresses this issue of despair in Psalm 27. Most scholars believe this was written while he was on the run from from Saul who was trying to kill him in the wilderness. And, And in that moment, David said, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. See, what David points out for us is that the seeds of despair in our lives are planted and nurtured by a lack of awareness of the goodness of God. Bad theology leads to despair, and it kills our dreams. How do you, on a regular basis, help yourself remember the goodness of God? If you ever question what God's goodness looks like, you just look at Jesus and just spend time meditating on him. Jesus reveals perfectly all of God's goodness in his healings, in his destroying the works of the devil, and the love he had for the lost and the poor and the little ones in his teachings. And all, the, all of that was empowered by the Spirit of God. And, and, and Jesus is the goodness of God. That taste and see goodness is exactly what the vineyard value of partnering with the Holy Spirit is talking about. This taste and see goodness is, is based in our ability and, and in, our, in our growing in our ability to experience and know and commune with and converse with and be gifted by and follow the Holy Spirit and see the Holy Spirit show up in powerful ways in our lives. See, but unless we believe in the goodness of God, we won't keep praying for healing. And if we don't keep praying for healing, we won't see it. And we won't step out and believe God is good enough to, to speak through me to a situation that my friend is going to, is facing. And so we won't even seek God to give us spiritual gifts so that we can speak his divine power into those situations. See, we will only take the risk to explore the land that we know is occupied by the goodness of God. See, when we live with a burning realization that God is good because we've approached it in our faith as this taste and see kind of approach, this, our natural behavior then is for us to learn to dream and actually to even dream big. This isn't, and this, this isn't just dreaming anything. We have free will. We can, we can choose to dream inside of God's goodness and seek to know His Holy Spirit and, and to follow and partner with Him, which means we, we seek God's will for our lives and operate within that. Or we can dream outside of partnering with the God's Spirit. And when we do, instead of getting the really good, we, we get the broken, the driven, the, 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 the addiction, the slavery of sin. See, God wants us to know Him so well, His goodness so well that we dream within his will because we trust his goodness. Now, you may ask me, what in the world is God's will for me? How do I find that, right? Well, the only way you find it is to know and partner with the Holy Spirit. And it's a journey of trust and goodness. Yeah, yeah, that can be hard. I get that. That can be hard to learn to communicate and understand how to communicate with that which we physically do not see, the Holy Spirit. It takes time and loving dedication to prayer and growing in biblical wisdom, to developing habits of keeping your heart and your thoughts turned toward God throughout the day. It comes through experience and, t- and taking risks. We learn through taking risks and sometimes failing in those risks. See, we see God's goodness addressing the issue of finding the mystery of God's will when Paul says this in Ephesians 1. He says, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. See, God has pleasure in revealing to you the mysteries of his will, generally 
and specifically in regard to your life and every single person's life in this place. The mysteries of God are not something hidden from us, but they're hidden for us. So what does that mean for it to be hidden for us to find? It means that God wants you to know and walk in his will far more than you want to know it and walk in it. Think of it like an, an Easter egg hunt or Easter basket hunt. Does anyone around here ever actually do Easter baskets anymore? Anybody? It's all just Easter eggs nowadays. Baskets have gone, a few people, baskets have gone out of favor. When I was a kid, uh, we didn't do Easter egg hunts. We did baskets full of candy, and my parents would hide the baskets. And after church on Easter, after all the celebrations and the big, wonderful family meal, then we got to search for the Easter basket, right? My parents loved hiding them and creating the excitement of finding them. And I remember growing up as kids, we would be excited for weeks about Easter coming and the hiding and the finding of the baskets was one of the highlights for us. See, it's part of God's good desire and his goodness that he's wired in us that for us to desire to enjoy anticipation and seeking and finding things. He's created us with that kind of an excitement, and he does that with his will for us as well a lot of times. God's like that, and, and even like we work with our kids in our Easter egg hunts because that's what we did as a family. The younger ones, we hide them easier. The older ones, we make them a little bit harder and then try to keep the grubby hands of the older ones off the little ones' eggs, you know, and, and corral that. God, God knows our capacity for finding, right? And he loves to put things where we will find them. God wants us to know his will and to walk in it more than we do. There's a second pillar of good theology that flows naturally from the goodness of God, and that's this. It's believing and acting like nothing is impossible. See, in one of the most famous statements, Jesus answers the disciples' wonderment of the impossible statement that Jesus just made by saying this. He says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. See, we have the privilege as followers of Jesus who are filled by his spirit, and we have the responsibility to reflect God's nature by our capacity to see what God wants to do creatively, to see past the impossible. I want to invite you to take the day or the next couple days when you've got a little bit of time off and to read through the Gospels. And I want you to pause at every miracle you see that Jesus does. And just think about that. Those miraculous moments are tangible, powerful demonstrations of God's goodness. And I want you to pay particular attention in that to what Jesus says to you and me and his followers, empowered by his spirit, and what that looks like for us to be empowered by his spirit. And as you read the Gospels and as you see Jesus ask the disciples to what, what he asked them to do, and, and then you see what they did in seeing people healed and other miracles that they did, what you'll arrive at is the natural conclusion that as we learn to partner with the Holy Spirit, it means that we will regularly take risks in our faith to see God do the impossible. See, it's not possible for us to adequately demonstrate the love of God without the power of God, without praying and seeing him show up in ways that are beyond our ability. It's not possible to have a taste and see faith without these kinds of tangible God encounters through our lives. Uh, Elise, our daughter, just returned from Nepal, and I actually forgot to ask you permission for this, so I owe you some money. 
She was there on a mission trip. She's studying to be, she's studying with a double major in missions and international community development. And Nepal, like India and, India and Russia, is becoming more and more difficult for Christians in evangelizing as different groups are either passing laws or, 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 or enforcing persecution in the country. And one of the most interesting observations that Elise had for us from her time spend, spent with the Nepali Christians was that every single person in the church that she met and worked with who had come to faith in Jesus, came to faith because of the experience of a miraculous physical healing. A good theology includes the belief and the accompanying actions of partnering with the Holy Spirit that demonstrates nothing is impossible to God. If I truly believe and I know God's goodness, that nothing is impossible with God, then I as a person will be compelled to consistently step out of my control zone, out of my comfort zone, and take risks. And if I don't, then I'm simply a theorist rather than a person of faith. But you know, there's yet a third pillar of good theology that releases us to partner with the Holy Spirit, and that is this. Everything was purchased at the cross. So speaking of what Jesus accomplished, uh, Paul sums it up this way in Ephesians 1. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, pre- uh, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you live in this place of partnering with the Holy Spirit, having been given every possible spiritual blessing you need. But that spiritual blessing isn't just something intangible and mystical out there either. In a way, Paul goes on to describe it further, what every spiritual blessing means in a practical way. He says that means you are adopted as children of God and given full right of inheritance to everything God is. You've been redeemed from our brokenness of slavery and are in the process of being fully restored. We have been forgiven in a complete way. God eagerly lavishes, he says, in describing these abundant full blessings, all wisdom on us so that we're never left clueless or helpless. Paul reaffirms as he's describing all these mysteries of God, that that, that God wants us to know all the mysteries of, of his will. And as proof of all this, he concludes the text saying this, when you believed you were marked in him, with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Again, reaffirming the primary, the primacy of partnering with the Holy Spirit. See, on the cross, Jesus took care of everything. There is no problem. There is no relational issue, no sin or sickness that God has not taken care of in the cross or provided us the wisdom and the power to walk through or to address. Think of it this way. In the cross and the resurrection, God created this this big bank account and this massive warehouse of provision and this massive online database of all wisdom that has absolutely everything we need to walk in the blessings that God has called us to walk in and to be the blessings to others that God has called us to be in our lives. But see, if you're like me, there's, there's this constant temptation to just, to just settle for a good moral life, a life of kindness and being nice. But to do that is, is like settling for living on the street and scrounging for your next meal. 
when God has already made a deposit of trillions of dollars in this bank account and this warehouse is full and this database is full, you see, we can still starve with a trillion dollars in the bank if we don't learn to draw on that deposit that God has made there. See, if we don't, we leave so much of what God has given us on the table so often in the bank or the warehouse or that online database of wisdom, we leave it unused, unappreciated. We live with less power than God created us to live with. And it's all centered, this promise of Paul is all centered in the guarantee that the deposit of the Holy Spirit is in our lives. Again, learning to partner with the Holy Spirit is the number one thing if we want to have a vibrant faith and life. Within all of that, though, there's this tension, right? Because it also does say that this Holy Spirit is a deposit. It's not the full thing. It's a guarantee of the full inheritance, but it's not yet the full thing. Theologians look at that and then they, they, they coin this phrase to talk about that. They say that's the kingdom now and not yet. The not yet indicates that not all brokenness and sin will be resolved in life, even though Jesus has completed the work to one day resolve it all. That life on earth here will be a daily journey toward God, completely fulfilling that work in our lives and in the life of our community, and we will never fully arrive in this lifetime. Don't you just want to arrive? Conquer something and just be able to rest in that? But that isn't reality. As much as we want it to be, and, our t- and oftentimes our problems with God and our problems with faith are centered in us fighting against reality. So the not yet says we can expect the results of sin and brokenness in this world to still be a reality, but we have to face those and walk through those and overcome them. We have the power to do that. We, the pain and the death, the disappointment, the consequences of our bad choice and other people's bad choices are still going to be something we walk through. But for most of us in partnering with the Holy Spirit, we get stuck on the not yet piece of this phrase. And we don't fully embrace the now. See, when Jesus instructed his his disciples to go out and minister, he was clear. He was very strong about the now part of the now and not yet. Matthew 10 says this, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is speaking, the kingdom of heaven is at hand and he's telling his people, his disciples to preach that, to teach that. In Luke it says the kingdom of God is near you. So therefore what do we do in this present tense of this kingdom at hand? We heal the sick, we raise the dead, we cleanse the lepers, we cast out demons, freely you receive, freely give. See, Jesus teaches us to pray with a strong focus on the now here and, and also in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. What does it say? Remember? Some of you said it all the time growing up. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Kingdom come on earth as it is done in the heavenly places. Present tense, now, expectation, the invitation to make the kingdom be a taste and see kingdom among us now to experience it personally and to see the experience in others in the here and the now. See, the invitation of the cross, the invitation of the now and the not yet is for us to live life focused on the now, bringing as much of his kingdom into our reality and the life of those around us as we can now and to live within that with a, with a subtleness of heart that we can trust God's good and trust his promise 
even in those not yet moments that we are guaranteed to still have to face. But the not yet isn't the focus. The now is the focus of how we live, we pray, we take risks, we dream, and we act. We learn to partner with this deposit of God in us, the Holy Spirit, to bring as much of his inheritance into our reality now in this life as we can. See, we live on a life, on a planet with problems, and we can throw up our hands and wait for the incredibly glorious return of Jesus, which will be glorious. Or we can partner with the Holy Spirit, we can pray the Lord's Prayer, and we can act with confidence of bringing God's presence and His power, His kingdom, into our reality now. See, when we face difficulties and problems that we caused or other people caused, God's not surprised. He's not taken back by anything. Jesus doesn't ever say, gee, I wish I would have remembered that one on the cross. No, on the cross, Jesus took care of everything, paving the way for a redemptive answer to absolutely everything. There's a pastor and an author named Chris Vallantin who says it this way. He says, if you don't have a redemptive answer, you don't have the answer. You might think, well, I really screwed up. And yeah, you may have. And maybe there's going to be some natural consequences because of your actions that we're going to have to walk through. But God always in every situation, has a redemptive answer. With this in mind, let's revisit our bottom line for today. We will always reflect what we're most aware of. What am I aware of when I face a problem, mine or someone else's, or a failure, or a mistake? Or, or, or what, do I, what am I aware of when, when I f- begin to feel hopeless that a, about messing up and a problem not going away and things not going well? Do I become hopeless about the ongoing conflict or, or the disappointing failure? Or, or, is, or is my first response, is your first, first response to ask God the question and expect a redemptive answer in the situation? See, whatever our response to the situation, we know we don't have the answer unless it's redemptive. What are you most aware of? Are you most aware of the lack that you have, the 50 bucks you have in your bank account? Or are you most aware of the goodness of God who has provided everything, who has abundant wisdom and everything you ever need that you can draw on to go through your situation? There's a fourth pillar of theology that helps us walk into the dream God has for us, and it's simply this. Every person is significant. Now, the Ephesians passage we read earlier uh, summed up a whole bunch of ways in which we're significant, so I'm not going to repeat those. And on Father's Day, we talked about honoring and how we're made in the image of God, and I don't want to repeat that either. So let me just summarize it in a way of application very quickly in this way. When we have our identity and our significance solidly in Christ, there are two changes that result in our lives that help us face challenges and dreams differently. The first one is that we view power differently. Martin Luther said it this way, one with God is a majority. You with God are the majority in whatever issue you face. And there's a second thing that happens in our lives uh, when, we, when we believe that we're significant and, and, and have our identity in Christ. And it's this, we don't approach service the same way we used to. 
See, we don't approach service to gain significance, to get strokes. Uh, we don't need to serve or lead an ac- to accomplish uh, stuff to provide that need because it's already met in us. We're already significant. So instead, we freely and we gladly serve without need for recognition because we are so loved. See, both of these realizations of of how significant we are, they greatly as well empower us, don't they, to take risks. It allows us to freely take risks and to step out in faith more. So in closing, as the worship team comes, living out of this good uh, theology as a declaration of our lives and as the people of Quest releases us and empowers us to partner with the Holy Spirit and we'll see miracles happen because we live in the confidence of who God is and that God is here to save and to heal as many as who will receive it through us. So because we know God is good, we dream and we live with anticipation and expectation regardless of the circumstances around us. Because we know nothing is impossible with God, we take risks, risks to pray, risks to speak, risks to act for the kingdom of God around us. Because we know Jesus purchased everything we, and everything we ever needed on the cross is to fully redeem all of creation, we see our difficulties differently as an opportunity for God to show up and bring a redemptive, joyful answer, even no matter how hard and how difficult it is. And because we understand our significance to God, we freely and we gladly serve without need for recognition. See, we will always reflect what we are most aware of. Is your faith and life primarily centered on knowing and partnering with the Holy Spirit? If that's not been your faith, then what are you going to do to begin that journey to learn to understand the presence and power of the Holy Spirit? Maybe uh, signing up and taking School of Kingdom Ministry in the fall is a good option for you on that. Or is there a pillar in your life of good theology that God is inviting you to be more aware of? Again, we will always reflect what we're most aware of. We're going to celebrate communion as we close with some worship and and as we turn to God once more and allow ourselves to just encounter God personally and allow ourselves to reflect on on what's been said and and let him come to us in this application. And as you come for communion, communion, I want you to do something today. I want you to be a little bit more focused on the taste. Now, now I know everyone uh, has has tasted bread and juice before, so so that's not the point. That's nothing new. But what I want you to do is to allow your taste and your sight today to be a touch point for you experiencing God. He wants you to know his spirit. He wants you to know how his spirit's going to work in you and through you in as tangible a way as you are going to be able to taste and touch and feel and see that bread and that juice today. See, God came in Jesus in the flesh to be touchable and to take the wrath of our sin upon himself and show us a better way to live. And he spilled his blood to give us absolute forgiveness so that you would be, not be eternally liable for the sin, uh, the penalty of sin that you've accomplished. Come and worship and receive and taste and see that God is good. Lord, stand with me. Lord, we ask that you would come right now and that you, by your spirit, would make this truly a taste and see moment. 
Whatever you want to do now, Lord, I pray that we would just anticipate your spirit, your goodness breaking in among us, that we would anticipate you doing the impossible through us right now and in us. Come, Holy Spirit, and make this moment alive with your presence as we worship and receive communion. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.